to WCW Monday Nitro on TNT for this Monday, November 13th, 1995. But it was last week, the night that went down in history, because that's what we find out at the very end of the broadcast, that history was going to be made at World War III. You heard Nick Lambros. You heard that maggot Jimmy Hart. Well, we know what's going on. The winner of the 60-man battle royal at World War III will become the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Seems to me like uh, Jimmy Hart didn't quite have it all figured out, did he, Bobby? Well, Jimmy Hart had enough. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week -week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your host, as always, Tim Root, and with me this week is my broadcast partner, Dave Amontorp. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing good. This is a groundbreaking episode in which it's the first taped Nitro. That's true. We are not coming to you live for once, and you will notice that by the fact that Bischoff uh, didn't crow about it like he normally does, because he loves mentioning how live they are. So it's definitely noticeable that he chose not to this week. Before we move on, I do want to remind everyone that you can find us at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro, Twitter at 20 years of nitro, and you can email the show 20 years of nitro at gmail.com, and that's two zero years of nitro, not the word 20, you dumb fucks that thought it was the word. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I turned heel. This is the week I turned heel. 11 weeks has finally done it. We are coming to you today from Jacksonville, Florida, the same city we were in last week because that's where this was taped. And it is November 13th, 1995. We open up on the announcers and Pepe is wearing a superhero cape and he is darling in it, <laughs> I might add. Yep, and the announcers have uh, decided to change their outfits in what I think is an attempt to bend time and reality itself. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely went back uh, and put on some new shirts so mm -hmm. that we, which is, I really like the idea that anyone in 1995 would have noticed if Bischoff was wearing the same shirt two weeks in a row. Right? Like who is sitting there writing down like their wardrobe of the announcers? <laughs> and we'll see later on in the show that a lot of the wrestlers do not make the same attempt right. at uh, keeping with the continuity of the whole uh, operation. And there's also, I mean, as you heard from that clip, Right away, I mean, they're not saying they're live, but right away they reference to last week. Right, yep. Um, and I believe all three announcers at some point at the beginning refer to last week. Like, they really hit it home that these are two different dates. Right, and uh, as we heard Bischoff say at the beginning, the shocking announcement at the end of last week is that the title has been vacated by the WCW Championship Committee, and the new champion will be determined uh, by whoever wins the World War Three. 60-man battle royal. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, but right away, this show starts off with a bang. We go to a promo from Hulk Hogan. Uh, we're going to hear that in its entirety, but I definitely want to sort of set the scene for you first. Uh, we go to a dungeon that looks a lot like the Dungeon of Doom, mm -hmm. which makes sense as the Dungeon of Doom segments were actually filmed in a studio lot that was... Or not a studio lot, but in a soundstage that was owned by a friend of Hulk Hogan's. Okay. Uh, so it's probably just the same place yeah, in, probably. in Venice Beach. Um, and Hogan is wearing all black. He's wearing a black hood, like a monk robe kind of thing. He's wearing a Zorro-like mask over his face. He's holding a giant sword, and he's standing in front of what looks like a foam, like Halloween decoration-type cross gravestone, mm -hmm. uh, the top of which is adorned by a motorized toy rat that sort of flicks around and moves occasionally. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it was uh, it was like the third viewing of this promo where I was like, what's moving in the background? Yeah. And I had to rewind. And yeah, it, it's like a toy. They clearly just went to a Halloween shop mm -hmm. and bought a fake sword, a mask, a gravestone, a rat. Right. And then we're like, all right, Hogan. Do, do your, your thing. thing. <laughs> I'm assuming after what must have been a mountain of cocaine. <laughs> but let's let's not deprive the audience any longer. Uh, here, ladies and gentlemen, is Hulk Hogan truly at his darkest. Uh, uh, 
You something Hulkamaniacs! The darkness in the Dungeon of Doom shakes in fear just because Hulk Hogan is walking around with the power of the training, the prayers, and the vitamins. Everyone from Kevin Sullivan to the master to each and every creature that breathes the doom is afraid of Hulkamania because they're training the prayers and the vitamins are immortal. They'll live forever. And now my brother of the road, the macho man, is on a mission. He's gonna bring us the head of Ming on a silver platter, the first man on the destruction hit list of Hulkamania. And as he walks into the light of Nitro, may the maniacs be with him. But I feel a strange presence. After what went down with Sting and Luger, I don't know where Sting's head's at, brother. I don't know if Sting is in the dark side or the light side of Hulkamania, if he's friend or foe, brother. But when the macho man walks carefully into the lightness, when the macho man brings Ming's head back on a silver platter, before I go down the hit list, before we take him out one at a time, me and the macho man together, I'm gonna look at Sting somewhere in the eye, somewhere in the near future, and I'm gonna find out exactly where he's coming from. Because if he's on the doom side with Sullivan, I'm gonna move his name to the top of the list, brothers. The stench in the Dungeon of Doom is not powerful enough to even make my little Hulkamaniacs shake in fear for one moment. So macho man, from the love of Hulkamania to you, move fast, move swift, bring me the head of Ming on a silver platter. And what is the Dungeon of Doom gonna do when the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan take the darkness of the Doom and turn it to destroy you? Dave, I, I imagine you've got a lot to say about that promo. Yeah, um, if you allow me some time to kind of overanalyze a promo. Oh, <laughs> that's what we do here on 20 Years <laughs> That is our bread and butter. Yeah. Um, if, if, if you're going by the by everything in this promo, being done on purpose and with a meaning. Right. It really seems like the Hulk Hogan character is going through or suffering an existential crisis. <laughs> How so? <laughs> In which I, I feel like that the that the gravestone represents the old Hogan character. Wow. And that he is that he is mourning the fact that he will never go back once he turns to the dark side. <laughs> yeah. But also he he's he he so he's like he's struggling right. with the fact that he's evil now. And he has this hit list. And the hit list, as you heard, it's pretty severe. Right. It's bringing Meng's head back on a silver platter. Yeah, he has dispatched the Macho Man to bring Med- Meng's head back. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he's worried something that looks like a villainous garb, but also maybe it's in mourning, too, for yeah. the previous Hogan character. Um, the sword... I couldn't figure out the symbolism of the sword. Penis. I think swords Pe- yeah. are always penises. Oh, okay. No, that makes sense. <laughs> that obviously, that makes sense. But uh, Is the I, rat Jimmy Hart? <laughs> that dirty rat. <laughs> and also, I mean, the fact when he calls it the demandments. Yeah. Because it's like, it's a mix of demanding something and the, and the commandments of Hulk Hogan of old. So he's sitting there. He's trying to... Like the old Hogan's still trying to push through with uh with the prayers and the vitamins right. and stuff, but no, the evil Hogan wants to literally murder everyone that he sees, including just the idea. If Sting betrays him, he's going right to the top of the hit list. It's interesting because that really um that would have the character of Hulk Hogan really mirroring the feelings of the real life Hulk Hogan who is currently at a point where he would love to hang on to the red and yellow, to the babyface role, right. to the thousands of fans cheering for him. Mm-hmm. But it's clear that in a lot of towns and households in America, that ship has sort of sailed. Uh, so it, both the character and the man are, are mourning that loss, which is when wrestling, for me, is always at its best and most poignant. Mm-hmm. when storylines and reality intersect in such a way. It's, wow, I'm surprised now that I'm feeling... That we're finding real emotion in what's one of the fucking goofiest Hogan promos <laughs> I've ever seen. This is up there with Pasta Mania, 
Mm-hmm. It's up there with this. The water's not hot. Mm-hmm. It's up there with the time that he talked about an earthquake opening under uh, Trump Tower and like oh, like WrestleMania four, four, yeah, yeah. where the water was going to swallow him and Donald Trump was going to hang on to his biceps or something. Mm-hmm. Like it is up in the pantheon of batshit crazy Hulk Hogan. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. But and I, I think this was to me the first week in which it was like you really sensed that Hulk Hogan the person was having fun. Yeah, with it, I agree he, with that. Um, because the previous times it, it was more like okay, this is what he'll say, but he's still he's still doing the Hulk Hogan persona. Right. Whereas now he with the with like the fan of the opera mask or whatever he's wearing, he's like really got himself. Also, did you notice that he had like just like streaks of like yeah, dirt? He had, yeah, he had dirt on his face. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Maybe he put someone in that grave. Maybe we come to Hogan just as he's buried the body of who knows who. <laughs> it's a it's a grave for his mustache. <laughs> <laughs> now, if they had a segment where Hogan had a funeral for his mustache, yeah. oh, I would have loved it. <laughs> I, I imagine he would have tried to get a full military funeral with like a 21 gun salute right. since uh, shaving the mustache is equivalent to defacing the Washington Monument or burning an American flag. That's right. He did say that. <laughs> I also like that right after this, um, this ended in a segment, which he's clearly talking about murdering Ming, mm-hmm. maybe murdering Sting if he possibly betrays him. The announcers don't react to it. Right. Yeah. They instead, Bobby just says that uh, Hogan's going to be the first one eliminated because nobody likes him. <laughs> <laughs> in pure Bobby Heaton fashion, he, wasn't he? He was saying he was in a bet money that the first person eliminated is Hulk Hogan. Yep, yep. <laughs> we then get uh, Dave Penzer, who introduces Meng, accompanied by Kevin Sullivan. Meng is once again wearing his little uh, hood. Mm-hmm. And we still on the show have not seen the big carved dragon head, the bear uh, which monster? we have called the bear monster. Yeah. Uh, although he, I do think he wore it at Halloween Havoc. Um, didn't he? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I, I was kind of in and out of Halloween Havoc when I was watching it. You so. know what? I think a lot of people were. <laughs> Macho Man uh, is comes out, and he is now billed as being from the dark side of Venice Beach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so isn't he? He's normally billed out of Sarasota, right? I'm, I'm I fairly so, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. So now he's not only moved to Venice Beach, but he's moved to the dark side of Venice Beach. Yeah. I wonder, I really am curious how long that's going to last. It's probably only this show, yeah. but I'm definitely going to keep an eye on it. I also, I, I I kind of like the idea that Hulk Hogan's pretty much creating his own, like, Dungeon of Doom. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> to yeah. fight the Dungeon of Doom. Macho Man, uh, Meng and, and Sullivan are watching down the entrance ramp for Macho Man to come out. Mm-hmm. But instead, he sneaks up through the crowd from behind them and attacks Meng from behind. And the crowd goes nuts. The crowd loves uh, this dastardly trick by Macho Man. Uh, They brawl on the outside with Macho running Meng into the ring post and the guardrail. He then moves Meng back into the ring uh, where he retains control and chokes Meng using the ropes before body slamming him in the middle of the ring and signaling for the elbow. Uh, But that's Sullivan's cue to start getting up on the top rope to do some kind of interference. Uh, But Macho notices this and knocks him down to the outside but the distraction allows Meng to recover and counter uh, Macho's diving axe handle with a punch. Uh, and he then throws Ma- uh, Macho to the outside. And Jimmy Hart and his megaphone come out now. I don't know why he didn't just come out with them to begin with. Uh, but he comes out and he's just yelling in that megaphone. Which really, this is the point. So maybe this is a dumb complaint. But I fucking hate when he's yelling in that megaphone. Mm-hmm. And it's not good heat. It's like, I want to change the channel rather than listen to this yokel scream into his megaphone. Right, yeah. Meng isolates Macho Man in a corner and hits him with a lot of kicks and chops. He rips off Macho Man's shirt so that he can get a better noise on the chops. And within about a 45-second period of time, the announcers compare Kevin Sullivan to a football coach, a basketball coach, a rabid dog, as well as uh, call him a troubled soul. <laughs> they are really mixing metaphors on Kevin <laughs> Sullivan in a very short period of time. <laughs> Meng finally moves out of the corner and goes for a big splash from the top rope, which Macho avoids. Uh, Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan get on the apron. Ma- uh, Macho Man knocks Jimmy Hart to the ground and then hits Meng with the flying elbow for the win. 
At that point, uh, Shark and Lex Luger run out along with Kevin Sullivan, and they, along with Kevin Sullivan, Mm -hmm. attack uh, Macho Man's arm, which we have mentioned in prior weeks is supposedly injured. Yep. Lex is wearing a lovely pinstripe pants uh, alongside a pinstripe, like, tank top. And all I could think of is if the tank top was, like, a little bigger on the front, this looks like something your mom would have worn in 1995 when she went out drinking with her friends. <laughs> like, this is such a weird outfit to be wearing. <laughs> and it's it's kind of funny um, because, as we alluded to earlier in the show, he was clearly wearing those pinstripe pants uh, on what was ostensibly last week's show, right. which was, of course, again, as we mentioned, actually taped earlier in the same evening. Mm-hmm. So Lex did not bother to just put on some new pants or just show up in his wrestling gear. Right. And it's giving the impression that these pinstripe pants he's been wearing for at least a week. Oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> Lex would be dumb enough to do that, though. After a commercial, we get some generic Japanese music, and out comes Kensuke Sasaki. Oh, I just wanted to note with this attack on Savage that oh, yeah, uh, they went to commercial during the attack without it being concluded. Yeah. And when they come back, they just come, go to the next match and they do not update us. <laughs> Uh, Kensuke Sasaki is a New Japan pro wrestling star who is appearing as part of the interpromotional feud, which we mentioned last week, that's mostly playing out over on WCW Pro, which Bobby Heenan uh, had supposedly sold half of to Sonny Ono, who, of course, does not actually represent New Japan in any way. He's a WCW employee yep. and just a personal friend of Eric Bischoff's, a longtime business partner. And I was reminded recently watching the... Um, the Bischoff interview with JBL that aired on the WWE Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't remember when we originally brought up Sonny Ono what the business idea that he had with Bischoff is. It was a game they invented where you threw ninja stars at your friends, but they were just Velcro ninja stars, and you would wear Velcro vests. And uh, it was this game they manufactured. Yeah. Uh, they made thousands of them, and then they sold them by just advertising a number where you could call and order them on American uh, American Wrestling Association shows, mm-hmm. which is kind of how he met Vern Gagne and then got his start in the wrestling business. So kind of a little interesting uh, backstory on Bischoff there. Sasaki has spent time in All Japan, New Japan, and the uh, World Wrestling Council, which is Carlos Colon's Puerto Rican pr- promotion, as well as Stampede, uh, where he trained in the dungeon with Stu Hart. He is appearing at, uh, on this tape Nitro on the same day that he is actually in Japan beating sting for the united states title uh so this show as we mentioned the reason why it was taped is because all the stars are actually over in japan having this uh promotional interpromotional show with new japan right and as part of the deal with new japan kevin sullivan agreed to let them win the united states title uh he would say or he goes on to say nowadays that the reason why he offered them this um, was was to build a trusting relationship so that later when they were having the matches back in America mm-hmm. and he needed WCW guys to go over because they were, of course, staying and the New Japan guys were going to be leaving, he wanted the, the New Japan guys to trust him and to have a good relationship. So he offered very early in the, uh, in the negotiating process to have Sting drop the United States title to one of their competitors. So it's interesting that Sasaki's making his debut on Nitro on the same date that he is actually in Japan winning a, his first WCW title. Right. And, and and to the credit of the announcers, they do mention that later on. They say later on this week, uh, Sting's going to be defending the title. Oh, well, that, might, that might be when Sting actually comes out. Okay. I don't want to credit the announcers too much, though, because <laughs> literally, I'm not exaggerating, his entire entrance, they talk about World War Three and Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. uh, the entire time. Out comes Chris Benoit, and Chris Benoit makes it all the way to the ring and starts punching Sasaki, and we get the bell, and the announcers haven't mentioned Sasaki or Benoit a <laughs> single time. We get two wow. full entrances in the start of a match before the announcers mention it in the slightest. <laughs> I guess I gave him way too much credit. <laughs> By the time they talk about the match, Sasaki is firmly in control after hitting Benoit with the clothesline. Mm-hmm. So, of course, for some reason, Bischoff claims that Benoit has started off like a buzzsaw. He's, he's getting his ass kicked, Eric. What are you talking about? There's a nice suplex from Sasaki, followed by a power slam. Sasaki then hits a bulldog and a few other moves, while the announcers make a very, very long, drawn-out comparison between the upcoming World War Three pay-per-view and some recent NFL games. 
Oh, that's right. It goes on. They discuss this at length. Yeah. Sasaki hits a body slam for a one count and locks on a chin lock. He drops an elbow for another one count. Benoit counters a tilt-a-world backbreaker and then counters a side slam and manages to get a two count of his own. Sasaki goes for what looks like it was going to be a, a press slam, which he botches slightly, and Benoit manages to, es- manages to escape, and he then hits two back-to-back German suplexes, which is the first time we've seen, at least on Nitro, mm-hmm. we've seen Benoit hit his multiple German suplexes in a row, which is always such a cool spot to see. Yeah. Um, but rather than a third German, he actually turns the third su- suplex into his dragon suplex, mm-hmm. which he occasionally uses as a finisher. Um, and in this case, it is a finisher, so I don't know why I said occasionally. <laughs> he hit the dragon suplex and holds on for a bridge and uh, the one, two, three. This is a short match, but pretty good. Uh, both guys look, look relatively good in this match. Yeah. Well, yeah. From this, from my notes here, uh, Bischoff announced that Sting would defend the title in Japan against Sasaki about 30 seconds before Sasaki loses. Yeah, the booking here is, is a really strange decision. Mm-hmm. If, if there's a reason why you have to have these two guys, I would say that I could see why you'd want Benoit to win because you're protecting your own. Right. But at the same time, Benoit isn't involved in any major programs. It's not that he necessarily needs a win. Uh, but more importantly, Sasaki could have faced any number of other heels. Yeah. He could have beat Kurosawa. He could have beat... Sergeant Craig Pittman. Mm-hmm. He could have beat one of the Blue Bloods. He could have beat Lord Steven Regal. Why is he in there with Chris Benoit if you need Chris Benoit to win? Because if if Chris Benoit beats Kensuke Sasaki and Kensuke Sasaki beats Sting, by the transitive property, you've now told me that Chris Benoit is better than Sting, which I know as a WCW viewer to be ridiculous. Right. So you've just exposed your booking as not really making a ton of sense. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is a reoccurring theme that we're seeing in which they have plenty of talent that could uh, fill a position uh, for a match like this where Sasaki, you, you would want to win so he looks imp- good going into his title match with Sting. Right. But instead, you know, they bring out someone that they've already seen on Nitro and then they have like this conflicting decision for the booking. Next, here comes Johnny B. Bad who is out to defend his television title against Eddie Guerrero. Oh, wait. Before that, Sorry. No, I'm always interrupting. Please. Um right before we go to commercial with Benoit, mm-hmm. uh Eric Bischoff says, Oh, by the way, he's the newest member of the four horsemen. What? Yeah. He he mentions it just as an off thing, and we go to commercial. And there's no chance that happened on like Saturday night or anything. That's just something that hasn't happened yet that he's alluding to accidentally. I mean, this is a taped show. They could have just edited that out, right? No, I yeah, but he just he just says, "Oh, by the way, he is the newest member of the Four Horsemen." Wow. And Hopefully, he, the rest of the audience was like me and had tuned him out at that moment and didn't notice because that's insane. Because <laughs> uh, spoiler alert for the audience, that is indeed going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but that's crazy. I wow, that's baffling. Johnny B. Bad, as I mentioned, comes out to defend the television title against Eddie Guerrero. And this is going to be the first time that the television title is actually getting defended on Nitro. Right. They did have the angle where it was going to be defended against mm-hmm. Diamond Dallas Page. But, of course, Page attacked uh, J- Johnny B. Bad prior to the match so that it didn't. it never actually happened. Eddie gets the jobber entrance, so I don't have a ton of confidence that right. he's going to be winning a title. Yep, I was a little bit worried when he was there already. Bischoff uh, tries to get to the bottom of exactly what the deal is that Bobby made with the Japanese. As I said last week, we already covered that because I'm not sure when they actually get through all the details. Uh, But the way they kind of sort of play this angle off is that Bobby sold half of WCW Pro and they're sort of running it through the courts to try to prove that he had no right to do that. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of where that stands. Johnny, be bad, and Eddie uh, shake hands and then lock up. So a little nice sportsmanship to start. Also, uh, Johnny B. Bad was like crazy over was like from when, yeah. when he came into the ring. People, I mean, because we've established by this point that Eddie Guerrero he gets pretty good reactions, right? But then Johnny B. Bad comes out and people are losing their minds. Yeah, they go nuts for him. Yeah. He's over as hell, and I think uh, you know he's shown us a few times in the show that he's a good wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I mentioned a couple times recently, I've been really listening to a lot of Ric Flair podcasts to, to try to. Uh, research for this show 
and he claims that he that Miro can't work, and I think he couldn't be more wrong. I, right? Maybe Miro didn't work a style that Flair appreciated always, mm-hmm. and Flair has forgotten more about wrestling than I'll ever know. Um, but he's also older and drinks a lot, and uh, he and he probably just has some personal animosity towards Miro for whatever yeah. reason. But. And, al- and also, I don't really recall a lot of Ric Flair matches with Johnny B. Bad. I That's mean, true. And, for a wrestler, you would think that like it'd be the first-hand experience that he'd be basing this off of. This match starts with a lot of escapes and counters. Uh, Johnny B. Bad gets a nice kip-up as he's being held down at a wrist lock. It's a nice little spot. Johnny B. Bad then has a couple leapfrogs and a tilt-a-whirl slam. Eddie gets a head scissors and a trip for a one-count before they are both back up on their feet again as the crowd uh, signals their approval at what they've seen so far. Right. Johnny Bad gets Eddie down and hits a slingshot leg drop, but Eddie gets up and hits some elbows to the gut before hitting a really cool-looking springboard hurricanrana off the top rope. Yeah. He places Johnny Bad up for a superplex, but Johnny Bad pushes him down and Eddie lands uh, sort of on like his belly and his head, his face, basically. And uh, Johnny, he, as he stands up, Johnny Bad comes off the top rope and flips over him for a fantastic flying sunset flip. Yeah, because he, he crosses at least half the ring. It's amazing the air he gets on it. And right. to do it while flipping over a guy and then turning it into a sunset flip, I thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Eddie, though, reverses that pin, and they go back and forth reversing a series of pins uh, for two counts each time. Eddie goes for a crossbody off the ropes, uh, but ends up flying over the top rope as Johnny Bad ducks. Johnny Bad then flips over the top rope, does like his slingshot flip that he likes to hit. I think he has a name for it, The Bad Day, maybe. Um, I know one movie he has is called The Tutti Frutti. <laughs> God. That, maybe that's later on, though. Um, it's should, a patent. We movie. should probably learn about that since we have a WCW podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> maybe you're right. <laughs> He then rolls Eddie back in the ring and uh, tries to hit a slingshot splash over the top rope, but Eddie dodges and uh, Eddie gets a two count. Soon after that, Johnny Bad hits him with some punches, and Eddie sells that he's pretty hurt. Um, and it, it seems legitimate at first because he tells the ref to keep Johnny Bad away like he's injured. Uh-huh. Uh, and the ref does that. But then Eddie jumps to his feet, and suddenly he's unloading punches on Johnny B. Bad. Mm-hmm. It was a ruse. Yeah. Uh, and it was the first kind of heelish action that we've seen from Guerrero, certainly. Um, sort of playing possum and then coming out with, with some borderline cheap shots. Yeah, and when during the, the moment where uh, Eddie Guerrero is feigning that he is injured, uh, Bobby Heenan says, It's like the monkey said when he got his tail ripped off. It won't be long now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Bobby, man, I would have loved to have hung out with Bobby Heenan in 1995 <laughs> or any other era. Really? I, I feel like that he would just be a non... There'd be kind of corny jokes, but it'd just be nonstop. Yeah. Well, and I imagine when he's off mic, he's just swearing up a storm. Yeah. You can tell that this is a guy who's holding himself back yeah. uh, from swearing at He everybody. probably has, like, he knows, like, all the lewdest jokes you could think of. <laughs> Uh, Johnny B. Bad gets kind of pissed about this whole thing and they start absolutely brawling, just nailing each other with punches. Mm-hmm. Randy Anderson gets them separated. They manage to get back uh, together and they're just punching each other in the corner. Bischoff is getting upset that these two role models would dare act yeah, like this. Um, another thing that I liked, and this was like, uh, I think it really goes towards the, the chemistry and the psychology of the match, mm-hmm. is that Johnny B. Bad initially goes for a left hook and, you know, since he's a former Gold Gloves, a Golden Gloves. Legitimate, yeah. Legitimately, yeah. So he's a former Eddie, Gold Eddie Gloves knows player. to block the left. But so then uh, uh, Johnny B. Bad starts focusing and hitting a bunch of rights. Like he counter punches. Oh, that's and a I great thought, point. I thought like that the sequence turned out really well and made it look like both guys have really uh, scouted each other. Absolutely. Like they, like they like to say. Eddie gets Johnny B. Bad down and hits his own slingshot leg drop as uh, Dave Penzer lets us know over the loudspeaker that there's two minutes left in the 10-minute time limit. Uh, and as any wrestling fan knows, the only time they bother announcing that is right. when we're headed to a time limit draw. Exactly. <laughs> Eddie actually goes for a tombstone pile driver, but Johnny B. Bad reverses it and hits a tombstone on Eddie mm-hmm. uh, for a two-count. 
were they you you have more of a history with WCW were they at this time using the tombstone as more of just any other move as a way of undercutting the undertaker or was it something that they used that predated the undertaker i i feel like it was something that was only used once in a while um i, I don't think to the to the length in which it was supposed to be compared right um I mean, it's not, they don't, Bischoff or Mongo, nobody makes a veiled shot at The Undertaker. Uh-huh. It's not that they they express how weak the move is or anything like that. It just had me wondering because it's so galling as a, as a WWF fan to see anyone other than Taker or Kane use a tombstone. Like, yeah. it's, it's weird to see. No, I don't really remember any sort of, if there was anything really behind that other than it was just a move they could think of at the at that moment. Sure. And they don't, uh, I don't know if it's outright banned, but they don't really hit pile drivers in WCW. So this is certainly a safe version of one. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they hit pile drivers and we just haven't seen one yet. But to this point, I don't think I've seen a single pile driver in a WCW I match. Think, I, I think it might have occurred during one of the Flair Arn Anderson matches. Mm, okay. Um, maybe, maybe. I don't think that the whole pile driver being uh, a dangerous move has really come up yet. No, because that's more after Austin has his accident yeah. with Owen Hart. Eddie gets a huge bulldog type move. I guess I can't remember it exactly, but that's how I have it in my notes. A bulldog type move right. from the top rope, uh, as Penzer tells us that we have one minute left. Mm-hmm. Eddie gets a two count, and we're down to 30 seconds. Um, also, at some point here, Mongo McMichael says... There's been more two counts than an identical twin convention. <laughs> and then Heenan immediately says, you've probably been to a few of those. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> I don't know if the... I mean, the <laughs> only way I can read that is that he's making some sort of pervert joke that Mongo likes sleeping with identical twins. <laughs> but that no. seems more like a compliment than anything. <laughs> like, in the macho world of wrestling, right. banging hot identical twins is not an insult, exactly. Right. You know? Or maybe it's just like insinuating that Mongo is either weird or dumb because he keeps looking for his identical twin <laughs> at identical twin conventions. Hey, yeah, <laughs> which is doubly dumb because if you had an identical twin, how would they know to go to the convention? <laughs> right. <laughs> Johnny B. Bad and Eddie Guerrero both collide with cross bodies, uh, and the ref starts a standing 10 count. Uh, but Penzer tells us there's 15 seconds left in the match. Somehow those 15 seconds elapse completely before the referee is finished counting to 10. Oh, referees. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because they both, uh, by the end, are on their knees and they're just punching each other in the face as time mm-hmm. expires. Oh, that was another thing when you are talking about the referees. After that poon, that tombstone pile driver. Were you going to call it a poonstone? I was about to say poonstone, <laughs> which I don't think. I think that would be a band move. <laughs> right. Um, But the ref was an awful position for that count he had to jump over both of them yeah and which is like he didn't have to have to but i think the the wsw referees have this idea they're on a certain side Mm -hmm. um but he like jumped over kind of tripped over them and it just just like a great move was followed up by just like some goofball just some goofball right these two continue to pummel each other after the bell has rang and Randy Anderson has to separate has to separate them. But as Johnny B. Bad is given his belt, uh, they end up shaking hands and Eddie uh, raises Johnny B. Bad's arm in victory. So this was a hard fought contest and it got a little emotional, a little heated. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, uh, they both let their baby face shine through. What did you What did you make of this match? This match was phenomenal. Uh, I had the, I made the note because on previous nitros there have been problems with uh, with wrestlers that we're pretty sure haven't faced each other very often, mm-hmm. having p- poor chemistry, poor chemistry. Um, and these two, I don't remember any previous matches, but they, I mean, they were like in sync, uh, absolutely from the very beginning. Uh, I thought it was really, and again, like with the psychology of it, they they're having just a traditional athletic contest and then after Johnny B. Bad hits a few punches to the ch- to the jaw and I, that's like Eddie Guerrero got offended and then they started brawling yep it had there was like a whole arc to this match yeah and I, I thought it played off really well I think it could have done without so many updates on the time mm-hmm. they could have done like one minute and then they could just have the bell ring sure um, but then again you never know what the goofy WCW ref's going to do if he doesn't know what the time is. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, once again, Eddie Guerrero goes out, has a great match with another person. Um, I would, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I would assume these guys are going to have another match because Eddie Guerrero. I hope so. Because Eddie Guerrero has proven, like, you know, he's a legitimate contender for a title. Yeah, I would think that this would be a good undercard match on uh, World War Three. I Hopefully. I mean, yeah. I think they'll both be in the Battle Royal, but it'd be yeah. good to see. The, I definitely want to see them wrestle again because I concur with you completely. This is a great match. Mm-hmm. Um, There's definitely, if you're looking for random little hidden gems on the network, you should definitely look up this episode and watch this match. Yeah. Um, especially if you're someone like me who doesn't, I don't mind a, a time limit draw finish after a good match. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely a great match. Bobby is typically disgusted by the uh, display of sportsmanship we see at the end of the match. Of course. And Bischoff tells us that Hogan is going to be on Nitro Live next week, and he wants to wrestle Sting, of all people. Uh, So apparently Hogan has been bothered by the actions we saw from Sting at the end of last week where he left with Luger. Uh, Hogan uh, has good reason not to trust, well, he doesn't trust Luger after mm-hmm. Luger turned on him at Halloween Havoc. So he's a little disturbed to see Sting, who's supposed to be his friend, leaving with Luger. So they promote uh, that Sting is going to talk to us later. And you can see during this whole segment that they talk about Hogan and Sting and what's going to come later. Uh, the Giant and Jimmy Hart are just sort of in the background in the ring, yeah. taunting the crowd, just just yeah. trying to fill time until the finally they, they get the... Uh, camera on them yeah it's really it's unfortunate that they never learned that having their backs to the ring brought up stuff like that but it's also kind of fun to watch like yeah. to see what they're doing um about this hulk hogan versus sting match for the next week this was something that i got a real strong sense of nostalgia because i remember i remember this announcement for this match when when i was watching it live back when i was 12 now, I mean, nowadays, like when I'm older and can kind of get a better idea of what they're doing, I could see this as like more of a uh, like a ploy for ratings for the next week. Right. The The story behind that is um, that on Sunday. So this coming Sunday, the Sunday before next week's Nitro, WWF is having a pay-per-view. I think it might. I think it's going to be Survivor Series. And as we've seen um, each time, either one of these promotions has had a pay-per-view they've won the ratings war the next night. Mm -hmm. So the reason that they're going with the never before seen match of Sting Hogan for free on Nitro is to try to mitigate the fact that WWE is going to have the, the advantage of coming off a pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, But like I was saying, when, um, when I was a kid, it was like, I remember the, the, the impact that announcement had. And now it was unbelievable that they were going to have these guys wrestle we, we really hadn't been brought up with this idea that they were going to face each other. And suddenly it's the next week. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm re- really looking forward to uh, revisiting that match. Sure. Especially. Um, but I mean, when you watch it now, when you watch it now, you realize it's just Eric Bischoff at the announcer's table, just saying like, by the way, next week we're having this match. Yeah. If it, but at the time when it happened, it felt like this big, moment right and uh it's just it's fun to kind of uh have these little moments when you're re- i'm rewatching nitro where it reminds me of what it was like to watch live that's cool that's real cool we go to the ring and mean gene is in there with the taskmaster and as mean gene puts it he's with the big giant <laughs> yeah his name is giant you don't need to tell us that he's big right that's it's implied gene <laughs> Gene reams out Jimmy Hart, who is also in the ring, uh, but Jimmy Hart says that an insult from Gene is more like a compliment. He says that he and Sullivan are the smartest men in wrestling because they got the belt off Hogan, and that his only problem, and this is actually a pretty funny line, is what is he going to do with his 200 Hulk Hogan jackets? (laughs) And that really made me laugh because uh, Jimmy Hart's airbrushed loud jackets are like a staple of the character. So I don't doubt that he has dozens of these things right and that now that he's a heel not aligned with hogan he really has no use for them yeah and he and he gives like the the classic jimmy hart like maniacal laugh after that right 
Sullivan cuts a promo putting over the importance of World War III and the Giants' chances of winning. And don't worry, I'm not uh, subjecting you guys this week to an audio clip of another Kevin Sullivan promo. I think we've had enough of those yeah. <laughs> over recent this, weeks. I mean, this promo is so repetitive in comparison right. to last week. Uh, I really I don't have anything else to say about it besides like they're just reminding us that these guys are around and they're right. going to be at World War Three. But other than that, there's no new information. Giant says that he's going to win as once again, Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart just sort of play with his hands while he talks. Sullivan pretends to be a dying Hulk Hogan, which is a bit that he's done before. Yep. Uh, as Jimmy Hart covers him with the jacket that he alluded to earlier. And the Giant promises to be the WCW champion forever Whoa. as we go to a commercial. <laughs> which now that, you know, 20 years later, Big Show's still wrestling. Uh, what if he had just been WCW champion for the past 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> Dean Malenko makes his way to the ring as we come back from commercial, and he's going to take on Sting, who gets a very nice pop. The crowd uh, has been great all night, and it's sort of, uh, we don't want to confuse the timeline too much, but it makes sense that they're really up for this match uh, because this actually was all taped prior to last week's Nitro's right. stuff. So this is the crowd who is actually still fresher than they were last week. Yep. Although last week they were great too. Mm-hmm. So this was just a crowd that was pumped to see some fucking wrestling. Right. Jacksonville, Florida is a hot piece of the territory. I guess. Right. And I and this is uh, exciting because we're getting a little bit more variety with their matches, um, and we're finally seeing some of the cruiserweights. And that was the same with like Eddie Guerrero and Johnny B. Bad. The cruiserweights are starting to face more of these established WCW guys. Yeah. This is something they should have been doing for the last few weeks instead of kind of bringing out matches we've seen already. So uh, when they announced this last week, I again, is really exciting for the fact that we're going to get like a unique matchup as a main event. Absolutely. I, I was really excited too. Uh, as Dean comes to the ring, Bischoff has been talking constantly about Bobby's deal with the Japanese and Bobby gets offended and wonders uh, why anyone is wondering about his personal business. And I want to play for a clip here where Bischoff just alludes to some really weird stuff. Two passes to a sushi bar. First of all, it's very rude to ask me about my personal business. Actually, no one really cares except for when it comes to money because you've been down to uh, sell a few uh, Used car deals that uh, you wouldn't want to talk I about. Negotiated deal. Negotiated I get deal. paid sometimes as being a consultant. You've taken con artists to an art form. So my my take on this is Bischoff's trying to improv something of, uh, that makes Bobby sound shady. Right. And the only thing he can think of, because Bischoff is an extremely smart guy, but not always a great announcer. Uh, the only thing that comes to him is used cars are, are shady. <laughs> so he just accuses Bobby of being involved in shady used car deals. <laughs> which, like, in the world of wrestling, they're always trying to pretend like this is the equivalent of the NFL or Major League Baseball. These are supposed to be major stars, you know? Right. Bobby's supposed to be on the level of John Madden. So to say, like, he's out personally conducting shady sales of <laughs> used cars, yeah. it just makes the whole thing sound so <laughs> cheap. And I just, I, I kind of like the... The, the sort of stuttering of it uh, bringing out that sentence because you could tell as soon as he started it he's like this is a bad joke <laughs> yeah. but I gotta push through this match starts with Dean getting Sting in a waist lock Sting powers out and pumps up the crowd a little more they lock up and Dean gets Sting in a headlock Sting pushes Dean off the ropes and Dean goes for a shoulder tackle but Sting does not move Sting instead hits a press slam while Bischoff uh, decides to randomly tell a story about some amateur wrestling event he went to in Anoka, Minnesota, which, uh, as a Minnesotan, I'll tell you, is not a very exciting place to name drop. <laughs> right. uh, and he once went to an amateur wrestling contest there and saw some guy no one has ever heard of beat some other guys who were bigger than him. Yeah. I, I feel like this must be a friend of Bischoff's, and he was like, hey, listen on the 13th, I'm going to drop your name. Yeah. And he just had to get it out somehow because it's really awkward and has nothing to do with mm-hmm. anything we're seeing. Um, but I, and also going back to like the the initial moves of this match, I I knew that Dean Malenko was not a really tall guy. Yeah, I did not expect such a height difference between these two. Yeah, because you don't think of Sting as being a huge guy, but yeah. he does tower over Dean Malenko. Yeah, 
and, and, and then he goes for like a, th- that waist lock. Mm-hmm. And it just emphasizes how tiny he is. Yeah, it looks like when my three-year-old hugs me from behind. Basically. <laughs> right. Dean gets a drop kick coming off the ropes, but the drop kicks to Sting's knee, um, which is great. And Sting Sting starts selling the knee injury, and mm-hmm. Dean immediately focuses all of his offense on the knee, which makes sense as his finisher is the Texas Cloverleaf. So yep. that's just good wrestling. That's just good wrestling. <laughs> A commercial comes, and we get a promo for World War Three. And as we come back, Sting is still selling the knee. And uh, during the break, we see it via split screen that Sting almost got the Scorpion Deathlock, but Dean Malenko got to the ropes. Sting gets control of the match with some punches, and then he whips Dean off the ropes, but Dean manages to get another dropkick to Sting's knee. They then make an odd choice and start putting over... Uh, Dean's father, the great Malenko, mm-hmm. and how much uh, Dean loves his father and dedicates every match to him. And this uh, goes back to stuff stuff that we've talked about earlier, where the cruiserweight heels are heels because they're the guys putting on, they're isolating body parts and yeah. they're putting Aggressive. on rest holds. Yeah. Um, but they're not cheating necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I get that he's not a full dastardly, dirty, despicable heel. Right. But it still seems really weird when a guy is in a match with Sting your mm-hmm. number two or three baby face right now. Yeah. Why would you put over what a great loving son he is for his like beloved legend of a father? Yeah. You're giving, you're giving the viewers a reason to cheer for Dean Malenko. Yeah. It was, that was a very odd choice by the announcing team right there. Malenko puts Sting in a few different leg based submission holds, but Sting manages to escape each time after some back and forth. Dean hits a belly to back and holds on for a two count. Oh, uh, was that the one that was coming like from like a far corner? Yeah, yeah. Because I made a note that that was just a brilliant looking suplex. It really was. Um, and at this point, you can see that like Sting is is ready to kind of go all out to make Dean Malenko look impressive. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely making Dean look like. And that's the difference between a guy like Sting and a guy like Hogan. Right. Hogan wouldn't get in the. He would never get in the ring. He would, with Dean Malenko. Even for like an all-out brawl, he would not show up. Right. <laughs> but Sting will not only get in there, but he'll sell. He'll make Dean look like a, a million bucks. Mm-hmm. And that you know that kind of goes back to the way that he was brought up in the business, where Ric Flair was a titan of the uh, of wrestling mm-hmm. who made Sting look like a million bucks at every opportunity. Yeah. So you know that's that's how wrestling has worked for generations where guys would, you know, put over the next guys. And unfortunately, a lot of that sort of been lost over the last 20 years or so. Yeah. Dean whips uh, Sting into the ropes and Sting manages to avoid a drop kick by holding onto the ropes. He then whips Dean into the corner and uh, apparently his knee pain clears up for a minute because he runs straight at Dean for a uh, stinger splash. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't sell the weakness in his knee at all for that period of the match. No, no. So, I mean, Sting is given the effort, but the selling selling an injury for a while when it's not convenient to your offense, I guess, was not really kind of part of his repertoire. Right. Dean manages to roll out of the way and avoids the stinger splash and Sting goes down. Dean tries to lock in the Texas Cloverleaf, but Sting, crafty vet that he is, manages to turn it into a small package for the sudden victory. Yeah, and Sting Sting made Malenko look great in this Yeah, match. especially, I mean, he wins by just scraping by by the skin of his teeth. Yeah, and it gave uh, the impression that Malenko was really close to actually getting a victory here. And after the match he does when he stands up, he does sell the knee a little bit. He kind of favors it. and So yeah. at least at that point, he's he's not... I mean, Macho Man would be like back to doing jumping jacks from what we've seen at times. Right. Exactly. After a commercial, uh, we see the announcers and Mongo has Pepe just sort of lying on his shoulder, which is really distracting as yeah. they try to talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep plugging World War Three and next week's issues between Hogan and Sting. Sting wanders around in the ring uh, in the background. You can see that he's just not left the ring and he's behind the announcers. And he looks bored and a little annoyed that they haven't come back to him yet. Yeah. Uh, We now get a promo from Sting, and I'm going to play that for you all right now. I thank you very much, Eric Bischoff. And by the way, during the course of this hour, on the horn, WCW's great Hulk Hogan asking about this man and actions last week. 
where you actually walked out of the building with Lex Luger. Hogan has stated that next week, live on WCW Monday Nitro Sting, he wants you one-on-one. -on -one. What's going on? What's going on with you right now? Let me just start off by saying, Hogan, I got nothing against you, man. I don't know where you're coming from. I never dreamed in my wildest dream that you, Hulk Hogan, would ever come knock, knock, knocking at my door looking for me. Never dreamed it. But you know something? I don't want to do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyway. I can let it slide when you call me a little dog waiting on the front porch. Yeah, a little dog. Let me just get one thing straight right now. Here at World Championship Wrestling, I'm a big dog, buddy. And if you want to check the list that have come and gotten in my face over the years, because like they say, this is where the big dogs play, my list is pretty long, Holster. And I ain't gonna walk away. I'm gonna do the same thing I've done all along. Hulk, as a matter of fact, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Sting, if I could interrupt, I have always contended if it looks like a rat, if it smells like a rat, and if it quacks like a rat, you can rest assured that it is a rat. And Hogan says something doesn't smell right here. I don't think there's any reason why the Hulkster and the Stinger can't get this squared away. If it has to be right here in the ring, it then be. so be it. I'll see you next week. I'm the big dog, remember? All right, ladies and gentlemen, Sting, Hulk Hogan headlining that big spectacular next week. Mongo, Brain, you con man, and Eric Bischoff, no con man there. Let's so Dave, I've got some thoughts on this promo, but I'm interested to hear what you had to say. Uh, I really liked it. Um, I like the idea that Sting alluded to, like, this might, this wasn't just like a spur of the moment. This, this was a long time coming, because like, ever since Hogan's been in WCW, he's been wondering when he's going to come knock, knock, knocking on his door. Mm -hmm. uh, I really liked it because it, like, it would have been easy to, for like a Hogan opponent to be like, oh, no, I can't face you. We're friends and stuff like that. Right. But Sting sounds like he's up for the challenge. He's really excited about it, and he wants to – he's looking forward to it. I thought this promo was great, and for me personally, a little bit of a revelation because I've – as I think I've mentioned on the show, I'm not a huge Sting guy. Um, I've never quite just seen the appeal. It's not that I think Sting's terrible or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I've just never quite got him, um, partially because, you know, a big part of his heyday, I was not watching WCW whatsoever. So right. I was only peripherally aware of the guy, you know, in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but here, not uh, just after he put on a great match, uh, he gives a fantastic promo, and he shows a ton of of charisma yes. in this promo. You, like, your eyes are locked on him. He absolutely captures your attention mm -hmm. and and just really delivers one solid promo. So I was really impressed, and this got Sting over with me huge. Yeah, and he he shows a lot of personality in just the way that he talks because uh, he kind of has, like, this, like, surfer dude sort of uh, – uh, maybe like a little laissez-faire mm -hmm. when, when it comes to, oh, I'm going to have a match with Hogan? Well, I'm looking forward to it because right. I wrestle. That's what I do. <laughs> um, and so I think, a especially since we really haven't heard him on Nitro yet, yeah. um, aside from just arguing with Hogan, right? Um, this this did a, really, did a lot of work to remind people of who Sting is and to hype up their match next week. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit before recording, and you pointed out that this is really the first Sting promo he's given where he's not bouncing off another person yeah he's not interacting this isn't dialogue this is just a straight promo mm -hmm. and it really gives him a chance to shine in, in a way that he has not had the opportunity to do on nitro so far back to the announcers uh bobby plays up hogan's paranoia by saying his manager and his friends are all turning on him and it's driving him crazy, and that's the reason why he's challenged Sting. Right. Um, and that certainly seems to be true. I, I definitely get where he's coming from with that. In our Raw recap, Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Henry Godwin went to a double countout. Ahmed Johnson defeated a jobber. King Mabel defeated a jobber. And Psycho Sid defeated Razor Ramon. And I, I think there was some shenanigans. One, two, three, kid was the 
uh, referee and some other <laughs> bullshit happened. <laughs> some bullshit. <laughs> In the ratings, Raw got a 2.6 and Nitro got a 2.0. So a decisive Ooh. victory for Raw this week. Uh, which is pretty shocking, as uh, this was a great episode of Nitro. Yeah. Um, and this that doesn't sound like a good episode of Raw. No. So I'm, I'm pretty surprised to hear that. But uh, that notwithstanding, what was your match of the night this week? Uh, well, this is probably the first show where there's more than a few contenders for that. Right. Um, I would have to go with uh, Johnny B. Ban versus Eddie Guerrero. Mm-hmm. Um Especially uh, since it's a, it had high stakes being a title match, um, a lot of uh, good psychology, and there was uh, definitely like a um, an arc to the f- match. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I mean, trenchant insight, <laughs> right? If only I was talking about other Hogan promo. <laughs> uh, but no, I would go with Johnny B. Bad versus Eddie Guerrero, although there are definitely a, a lot of great matches in this. That's going to be a unanimous choice. I'd love to vary it up and be different just because uh, variety is the spice of life. But I cannot deny that that match was definitely the match of the night. Mm-hmm. Both guys looked incredible. Uh, it was back and forth. There was there was a little bit of everything. High-flying, brawling. Uh, speed reversals. Yeah, it was just a great match. Really could not recommend it enough. Dean versus Sting would have been a great choice, but I can't help myself. I got to go yeah. with Johnny B. Bad versus Eddie Guerrero. Uh, MVP, why don't I go first on that one? My MVP this week was Sting. Uh, he, as we mentioned, he made Malenko look like a thousand bucks, where given his position on the card, he didn't necessarily have to do that. Right. Um, so I really appreciated him being willing to work with Malenko and being willing to make him look so good. And then, uh, as I said, that promo was just fantastic and was really eye-opening for me personally as someone who didn't always see uh, Sting's appeal. So Sting is my strong MVP of the evening. Who is yours? Well, we're going to be unanimous again because I'm also going to go with Sting. Uh, I I think it was great that he gave uh, that opportunity to Dean Malenko because really you know how in WCW or just any sort of backstage pro wrestling that he – that could have been the sort of thing he could have mixed if he didn't want to face mm-hmm. someone. Absolutely. But uh, so the fact that he had it, this match in the main event with Malenko suggests that he, he saw something in him and wanted to have this program and they had a great match. Um, he was able to highlight all the different things that Dean Malenko is capable of, even though Dean Malenko is smaller, not as strong. And like you said, he gave a great promo uh, that hyped up the match for next week that they're kind of, rallying around this match for mm-hmm. next week. So Sting did everything excellent and everything that would be required of him. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, two unanimous choices this evening. Yeah. And so with that in mind, I w- was thinking to put up for a vote uh, for the fact that this could go into this Nitro going into uh, their 20 years of Nitro podcast Hall of Fame. Uh, I want to nominate this one for the fact that I think it's the first show in which you could say there was three great matches on there. I mean, maybe Kintsuki Sasaki versus Benoit is not great, but it definitely, I mean, on any other show, that would have been the top match. Uh, We had the three great matches. Uh, We had advancing a storyline. We got a hype up for next week. We had an epic Hulk Hogan promo for the ages. Um, But like we have said before, this is a, this is uh, you need a hundred percent of the vote for the Hall of Fame, so I'm going to leave it upon you. Uh, I will not leave any suspense. I am voting with you. This is absolutely a fantastic episode. Deserves to be in the Hall of Fame uh, for our show. Uh, just fantastic from pretty much from start to bottom, and uh, the stuff that's less than fantastic, like the Hogan promo, is at <laughs> least hilarious enough <laughs> right. uh, that that it's fun to watch. Like. At no point does this show drag. Mm-hmm. At no point am I bored or fidgeting. I really enjoyed watching this episode. I did it twice uh, to get ready for this, and, and I enjoyed it fully both times. In fact, I think I enjoyed it more on the second viewing than the first. So, yeah, definitely into the Hall of Fame with you, November 13th, 1995 episode of Nitro. Yeah, I, I could tell that I really like this match because when you were talking about the recap, 
I was hoping that they won the, the ratings because I, <laughs> I, unlike Tim, Tim is always the one that's doing the uh, the raw recaps and looking up the the ratings. So I, I don't remember what the ratings look like, but I was disappointed. Like I think it should have. The fact that it got dominated by a raw that sounds like there was just a, a few enhancement matches is disappointing. And well, not only that, it's concerning because if mm-hmm. this kind of excellent show doesn't draw. They're just going to do other shit that we're not going to like as much. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week on 20 Years of Nitro. We cannot wait to talk to you next week when we get the first ever meeting in the ring between Sting and Hulk Hogan. Because this truly is where the big boys play. This is 20 Years of Nitro.